Hello, everyone. You're listening to Slapdash, the podcast about history, art, science, and everything else. We're your hosts, Jason Creekmore and Shannon Deaton. Welcome to the show. My name is Jason Creekmore, and across from me is the ever-prepared <laughs> Shannon Deaton. How are you, man? Man, I'm feeling extra prepared today. All right, all right. The entire month of October, uh, Slapdash is going to be focused on all creepy things that go bump in the night. Over the next four episodes, we're going to look at the origins of Halloween and discuss our favorite Stephen King novels. We are also going to have an episode entirely devoted to the Halloween movie franchise, including an interview where we will be driving to West Virginia to meet the man behind the mask from the 1978 original Halloween movie. And finally, we will end with an in-depth discussion of the 10 most influential horror movies of all time. So, Shannon, any last words before we dive into the the, uh, Halloween edition of Slapdash? Let's dive in. Let's dive in. All right, let's go. Halloween is one of the most popular American holidays. And outside of Christmas, it is the holiday that people spend the most money on with candy, costumes, and decorations. In fact, according to a 2015 poll conducted by the Statista Research Department, Halloween was the third most popular holiday ahead of New Year's, Valentine's Day, and the 4th of July. But unlike other holidays that celebrate love, hope, family, and togetherness, Halloween celebrates darkness, ghouls and ghosts, haunted houses, and dressing up as someone or something else. It is so different than other holidays, as the American version of Halloween is not connected to religion like Christmas or Easter, nor is it connected to our nation's history like Thanksgiving or Fourth of July. Halloween is its own thing. In some ways, it is a holiday where we celebrate, to some degree, that which we know is bad. It is the only time of year where the macabre is widely accepted. Everything has an origin. So what was Halloween's? How did Halloween come to be? Well, you can clearly trace it back to a European group known as the Celts, who lived in Ireland, Great Britain, and northern France as early as 1200 BC and thrived until about 60 AD, until the Romans conquered the lands. Like other groups, during this time period, the Celts depended heavily on the land for farming. Their new year for their calendar was on November 1st, which meant the last day of the year was October 31st. During this time period, every October 31st, the Celts celebrated something called Samhain. Samhain marked the end of the year and brought about death to the region as the trees lost their leaves and the grass turned brown. The sun did not show as long, which meant that night lasted longer. Naturally, the temperatures got colder during this time and people became sick and oftentimes died. The Celts believed that on October 31st, the mystic boundary between the living and the dead blurred, and that the dead could come back to roam the earth. Samhain was the celebration of this night. The Celts would make these huge bonfires and dress up in animal skins in order to try and scare the evil spirits away. So you can easily see the connection between these events and how we celebrate Halloween today. Also during Samhain, it was believed that Celtic priests, who were called Druids, could predict the future. According to legend and the writings of Julius Caesar, the Druids first had to make a human sacrifice during Samhain. So they made these large structures called wicker men that were built out of sticks and straw. These wicker men were made to look like a real man, but they would be anywhere between 20 to 30 foot tall. 
After the wicker band was prepared, the Druids would have someone tied to the structure and then set the whole thing on fire. That's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely <laughs> terrifying. And you know, I, I know that that's actual history, uh, but this is also a literal human sacrifice on a Halloween night as people are dancing around wearing costumes. I mean, that's that's so cliche for Halloween, but it was true <laughs> that this was that's actually what they were happening. Really doing? <laughs> yeah. You know, thousands of years later, Halloween still has the same dark, sinister elements that Samhain had uh, back in the days of the Druids. So I say all this, and so now, Shannon, how in the world does a a strange Celtic holiday like Samhain uh, that took place in Europe thousands of years ago, how does that make its way across the Atlantic Ocean to America? Very carefully. (laughs) (laughs) And slowly. And slowly. But as you mentioned, the uh, Scots and the Irish were a big part of the early days of Halloween, and it was no different when it actually moved and came to America. It was actually immigrants from Scotland and Ireland who brought the Halloween tradition to the U.S. in the 1800s. And this included all of the traditions that we know of today, including dressing up in costumes and asking neighbors for food and money and even pulling pranks on the evening of Halloween. But it wasn't very long after the introduction of Halloween until it started to become very commercialized. And Jason, this is the sort of Halloween I think you and I best know. <laughs> Nothing says America like capitalism. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And Let's it's, sell some candy. It's no different uh, in Halloween. So in the 1900s, this was the time that postcards and die-cut paper decorations were produced, and we really started to see the invention of early Halloween decorations. And Jason, as I was driving in here this evening, I saw several houses that were already starting to be lit up by Halloween. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lights, yeah, pumpkins, yeah. skeletons, ghosts, you know, all those things that we associate with Halloween. And it almost seems that it's like flipping a light switch. You know, we go from September to October, and it almost seems like the entire landscape changes quite a bit. And this is uh, very true in terms of how Halloween has been commercialized. So by 1920, young people were doing pranks on Halloween amounting to $100,000 in damages each year in major metropolitan areas. I would like to plead the uh, fifth for all activities that I may or may not have been participating with from the sixth through ninth grade. In future <laughs> <Thank> activities. <you. laughs> uh, but yeah, so a lot of these uh, kids were going out, they were damaging property, and they were uh, pretty much tearing up the entire town in the 1920s. And one theory actually holds that it was due to this excess of pranks on Halloween that pretty much led to the widespread adoption of an organized community-based trick-or-treating tradition in the 1930s. Yeah, I've always thought that was so strange. I mean, I mean, honestly, even back just a few years ago when when I would hear that uh, they would set trick-or-treat times for I mean, yeah. that was just odd. It's like how are you dictating a holiday? <laughs> that right. was just so strange to me. Even like two or three years ago, I was thinking that. So that's Yeah, when, when I was a kid, I remember that Halloween continued until the lights turned off Absolutely. on the street. Yeah, until the last Reese couples gone. <laughs> yeah. And it seemed like all the best treats always went fast. And, they, um, you know, everybody knew the person at the end of the street who was handing out the toothpaste and the apples <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the pennies. <laughs> So uh, those those lights uh, 
you know, stayed on most of the night because once you found out who wasn't giving out the Reese cups, you <laughs> tended to avoid that. Area. Sort of just bypass that. Yeah. You just went on by. Yeah. Uh, so the idea of costumes started to appear in stores in the 1930s, and I've seen several pictures of these early Halloween costumes, and to some degree, I feel like they're creepier and spookier. Oh, than anything that exists yeah. today. It's just terrifying. Uh, I actually saw uh, an old picture of Tim Burton uh, that was circulating on Facebook here recently, and he was dressed in a skeleton costume that his mom had made him. And it's just absolutely terrifying, but it was also very intriguing that it pretty much looked exactly like the entire Tim Burton mythos, you know, especially yeah. The Nightmare Before Christmas with Jack Skellington. He was dressing up as this character that he would one day invent, and it's just crazy you know, how all this comes about and how all of it works together, and Halloween certainly played a role in that. I remember uh, my mom, when I was in elementary school, there was a— uh a department store there in town called Maloney's. Yeah. And uh, she would take me up there. And I remember two or three years in a row for Halloween. And, you know, when uh, we would buy, like, the Halloween costume, it would be in a box. And so you had, like, this vinyl, like, costume cape type thing that you would actually put on and wear. And then the mask, the plastic mask with the little string on the back of it. Oh, I remember those. That that was on top, you know, right? And and uh, I thought I was uh, in high cotton, as they say, <laughs> you know, when, when I had that box and, and I would put it on. Uh, but today I go back, I actually saw pictures of those. You know, I would, I would Google and look for images of like 1980s, you know, costumes. And uh, I mean, they look really creepy. Yeah, and, they do. Uh, and at the time, they I didn't really think that. But like looking back, I remember thinking, I'm lucky that my, you know, hands just didn't burst into flames, you know, <laughs> when I just touched the box. <laughs> it's kind of creepy. Yeah, they're, they're much different than today. I mean, today you see Captain America and yeah. you see the Hulk and Superman and all these yeah. characters that are very glamorous. But back then, certainly even 20, 30 years ago, it seems like that was not normal. <laughs> That's right. My, my mother loved me. She put a Frankenstein mask on me. <laughs> okay. There you go. I love you, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> so trick-or-treating actually began in the 1950s. That was uh, the earliest date that's traced back in American history. And if you're wondering exactly how much money Americans spend on Halloween annually, including all of the treats, all of the costumes, all of the decorations. It's an estimated $7 billion oh spent on Halloween, uh, Halloween, making it the nation's second largest commercial holiday. I don't have to tell you what the first is. It's <laughs> yeah. not St. Patrick's Day. No, <laughs> I imagine not. <laughs> so how, uh, spending on Halloween candy is more than doubled since 2005, and there's an organization— wow called the National Confectioners Association, uh, and they estimate that over 75% of U.S. adults give out candy every year to trick-or-treaters. Hmm. Is that something that you all have ever done as a family? Uh, you know, we have, but uh, where we live, I think the trick-or-treaters, they just kind of stop about a half mile before they get to us. So we normally we, we do the whole trick-or-treating thing, and, and we go around the neighborhoods and, and that type of thing, but we normally don't give out a lot of candy at our house. I mean, we have it there the first few years we were there, and no one really ever shows up, you know. you got to give out better candy. i got to give out better candy, yeah. <laughs> and, and there's nothing scarier than turning the lights off, and then at 10 o'clock you hear... Oh, that's terrifying. <laughs> that, that's, it's like, a, it's like a, no, no candy, no candy. You know, so we, we do participate, but uh, we are one of the mass that goes out into the streets. Sure, yeah. So, you know, in recent years, there's been, as you said, sort of a decline in trick-or-treating in general in America. And it seems to be that kids are more often trick-or-treating at malls, stores, other businesses, instead of going in their 
local neighborhoods. And there's a lot of reasons for this. One part of it, obviously, is the commercial uh, commercialization because a lot of the industries and businesses have realized, oh, people are going to be out in masses yeah. during the Halloween season. So we might as well set up our tent and invite people in and take a part of that money. Also, in addition to that over commercialization, it also might be due to safety concerns. Uh, one study found a 43% increased risk of pedestrian fatalities on Halloween. So, and I can see that. Oh, I can easily see that. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, kids, of course, are encouraged to wear reflective clothing and uh, various other things in order to remain safe, but it remains a very dangerous time. And I think that goes back to why some of those curfews are set. Um, I think some of them are set so early that it's not even dark outside when Halloween's going on. But, you know, Halloween isn't just for kids. Uh, There's an estimation in one study that 65% of U.S. adults between 18 and 34 attended Halloween costume parties or other celebrations. And that's a pretty big stat for me. I'm wondering um, how that plays out, whether that's mostly in urban areas, rural areas, etc. But I found it interesting. 65% seems like a lot. Because at least in this area where we live, I don't I don't hear about that a whole lot, do you? Not really, no. Yeah. Not a ton. So, you know, in regard to this, um, some places have actually set Halloween age restrictions. And I've had this conversation before. Uh, when I was younger, you know, how old is too old right. to go trick-or-treating? What What is allowed? What is right? What is ethical? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Um, is it okay for me to go knock on doors today? <laughs> <laughs> the calling of a Kit Kat is a powerful thing. So. It is. It is. <laughs> it appeals to everybody at, right. at all ages. <laughs> so some states say that anyone over the age of 12 is too old to go trick-or-treating. And there's a few instances of specific penalties, actually, oh, wow. if they find people who are trick-or-treating over the legal limit. So in Chesapeake, Virginia, anyone ringing a doorbell and seeking candy over the age of 12 could face a misdemeanor charge up to six months in jail and 25 to $100 in fines. Golly. So can you imagine your 13-year-old going out, pecking on a door, and then just getting arrested? <laughs> Being written <laughs> a citation. Yeah. Enjoy the candy, kid. <laughs> it's wild. Uh, other restrictions uh, in other states include in Livingston Parish, Louisiana, if Halloween falls on a Sunday, which sometimes it will, uh, Louisiana kids have to wait until Monday to collect candy. They're not allowed to trick-or-treat on Sunday. In Walnut, California, trick-or-treaters can't wear a mask or disguise of any kind, uh, which sort of defeats the whole purpose (laughs) in some ways. That is Halloween. Yeah. And in Alabama, kids are not allowed to dress as a member of the clergy, else they face a $500 fine or up to one year in jail. Now, I'm not sure how this plays out with uh, (laughs) children per se, Uh, but I actually went back and looked up this law, and yeah, it very clearly says you can't be caught dressed as a minister, a preacher, a priest, etc. on Halloween. Wow. So, very interesting. And if you're caught with silly string in Hollywood, California, this could lead to a fine of $1,000. So, Jason, that's some expensive string. I hate to dash your dreams of flying out to the West Coast <laughs> here at the just, end of the month. Just going nuts. <laughs> yeah. So there, there continues to be ongoing safety concerns with Halloween, and there's always fear around this time of season, not just for the origins of the holiday itself, but some of the fears are very legitimate. This is a holiday that occurs at night. It occurs when there are a lot of people out and about, and in many cases, strangers are involved. 
So candy tainted with poison or containing a razor blade has been an ongoing discussion for many years. And I remember when I was very young, uh, there was a rumor going around, and I'll go ahead and indicate it was never verified that this actually happened, but that some children had opened up their Halloween candy the night of Halloween, and they found razor blades yeah. inside oh, yeah. of the candy. Have you heard this? Oh, yeah, I heard, I heard that, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I heard people that would say that they found a razor blade inside like a Hershey Kiss. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> like how does that's that work? impossible. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I've, I've heard that. I mean, I remember growing up and even telling my kids, you know, watch out for razor blades. And yeah. they're like, what? You well, know, what's going go on? Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there are some origins to this story. I'll say, at least in terms of the razor blade itself, that's a myth. We can debunk yeah. that right now. But there have been some instances of Halloween candy tampering that have occurred. And the idea might have started in 1964 when a New York homemaker named Helen Feel was irritated at the idea of handing out free candy to older kids. So this was before any sort of law or policy was on the books about how old you could be. So you've got teenagers running up and down the streets, dressed as Frankenstein and Dracula, knocking on your door, wanting candy. And Helen Phil said, we will have no more of that. (laughs) So uh, she started to give out packages of steel wool pads, dog biscuits, and even poison ant buttons to children who she thought was too old, who would come by her house and knock on her door. Now, she did make it clear that the goodies were inedible, that children, you can't really eat these things. And she let them know right off the bat that, hey, I'm just being mean-spirited about this, so (laughs) please go away and stop trick-or-treating. But she actually still got charged, uh, which probably should have happened (laughs) with endangering children back in 1964. Uh, Candy tampering fears reached its height in 1982 when seven people in the Chicago area died after taking tainted cyanide-laced Tylenol capsules. Uh, About 40 communities following this banned trick-or-treating. Yeah, I've heard of this. I've actually read some on this, yeah. This is terrifying. Yeah. You know, prior to what came to be called the Tylenol murders in 1982, there were no safety tampering on food packaging This led to a change in industry standards, and many, many products uh, added an extra layer of food tampering, including cereal, milk, and obviously Tylenol and other drugs that were on the shelves. So the candy industry actually set up a telephone hotline to collect police reports of candy tampering, but they didn't actually receive a single verified report of a child being seriously hurt by tainted candy from a stranger following the 1982 incident Hmm. with Tylenol. So there were actually no proven instances of candy tampering until the year 2000 when a child was injured by Halloween candy from a stranger. And James Joseph Smith of Minneapolis was was charged with one count of adulterating a substance with intent to cause death, harm, or illness. And James actually put needles into candy bars and handed them out. I mean, it's... What a sick individual. That's sadistic. I mean, how, well, that's, that's, just, that's insane. So one child was pricked by a needle when he bit into a candy bar. He oh wasn't actually hurt beyond the prick, which is bad enough, but no other children were harmed. So of the $7 billion that gets spent on Halloween candy and decorations and all these things, thankfully, this is the one and only instance where children may have actually been harmed, and it set up a lot of preventative measures. So, Jason, another very popular component of Halloween, of course, is jack-o'-lanterns. 
So oh, absolutely. Tell us a little bit about jack-o'-lanterns. One of the hallmarks of, of Halloween is is the jack-o'-lantern. And aside from trick-or-treating, carving pumpkins is what Halloween is all about. Of course, that's, that's that way in my household. But where did this tradition come from? When you think about carving pumpkins and placing candles in them, it is actually a strange thing to do. Well, it turns out that jack-o'-lanterns was part of Irish culture, which started in the late 1600s. The most common legend behind the jack-o'-lantern comes from a man named Stingy Jack. Stingy Jack was a really bad dude uh, who cheated people out of their money and, and played tricks on everyone he came in contact with, including one time with the devil. The story goes that Jack tricked the devil into climbing up an apple tree, and once the devil was on top, Stingy Jack then placed crosses around the trunk of the tree. Since the devil cannot pass by a cross, he was stuck. Stingy Jack then made a deal with the devil. He agreed to let him down if the devil would not take his soul when he died. The devil agreed to the deal. Years later, when Stingy Jack died, he was not allowed into heaven. And when he went to hell, the devil would also not let him in because of the deal they had made years prior. So Stingy Jack was left in limbo forever to walk the earth, even after death. Jack complained to the devil that he could not see at night, so the devil threw a glowing hot coal from hell. Jack then placed the coal inside a hollowed out, not a pumpkin, but a turnip, hence the term jack-o'-lantern. For centuries, Irish people would make jack-o'-lanterns from turnips, but during the 1800s, there were two massive waves of Irish immigration to the U.S., and obviously, they brought this tradition with them. However, once they arrived in America, they found pumpkins were larger and easier to hollow out. So naturally, pumpkins became the new jack-o'-lanterns in America. The jack-o'-lantern was also popularized by Washington Irving's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, which was written in 1820. When this infamous headless horseman used a jack-o'-lantern in place of his own head. And speaking of headless horsemen and other scary creatures, Shannon, I'm going to throw it back to you to talk about maybe some haunted houses and maybe some of these ghouls and ghosts that inhabit those. The origins of haunted houses date back to the 19th century London. Yeah, it, in fact, in as early as 1802, Marie Toussaint created an exhibition of wax sculptures of actually decapitated French figures, uh, including King Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette. That's creepy. So <laughs> I can just imagine going through one of these first haunted houses and really having no previous exposure to the whole idea of scary as an attraction. <laughs> right. <laughs> just seeing all of these headless figures uh, on display. So Tissad's sculptures were extremely accurate. People often remarked that they looked like people they knew. And in fact, they may have been because Tussaud actually used death masks uh, of victims from the guillotine in order to cast these particular sculptures. So very realistically... That's, that's a little too close to home. They, <laughs> On they may have been people who were actually known among okay. the community. So it, it's terrifying. Uh, she named her attraction the Chamber of Horrors, and rightfully so, yep. I would argue. So haunted houses first emerged in America during the Great Depression. The events were created to distract kids from vandalism and harassment of strangers. So as with the trick-or-treating, the haunted houses also emerged to 
get those crazy kids off your lawn. (laughs) Give them a place to be. Give them something to do other than tear down buildings. Uh, The first haunted houses were very primitive, and groups of families decorated their basements and held sort of house-to-house parties. So I would decorate my basement. Jason, you might decorate your basement. I'd bring my kids over. You would have a scene from Halloween set up. I would have a Halloween scene set up, and we would kind of go through the neighborhood to all of these different haunted houses among the people that we knew. So the haunted house became a cultural phenomenon, actually, when Walt Disney decided to build Disney's Haunted Mansion. And this is one that I'm very familiar with. And it's been a very important part of American culture for a long time. Uh, The mansion actually opened in 1969, and one total estimates that there were over 82,000 people passing through the attraction in just one day shortly after it opened. So a ton of people coming to see one of this uh, first commercialized haunted houses in America. And there were other haunted houses going on, not just those that were commercialized. And in fact, it was very popular for a long time to actually have these charity haunted houses. There's an organization called the United States Junior Chamber, or for short, it was often called the Jaycees. And the Jaycees created haunted houses all over the U.S. for various charity events. And in the 1960s and 70s, these haunted attractions were developed in a lot of the larger American cities, including Louisville, Kentucky, and Cincinnati, Ohio. But it wasn't until 1984 that there was a great tragedy that occurred in one of these haunted houses. The haunted castle at Six Flags Great Adventure caught fire in Jackson Township, New Jersey. Uh, The fire actually began at 6.35 p.m. on May 11th, 1984, and the building's air conditioner actually sort of fanned the flames and they got out of control. Uh, Six Flags actually remained open while firefighters from 11 surrounding communities responding to the event. Gosh, I I never heard of that. Yeah, it was terrible. There were 29 guests in the attraction when the fire started. 14 escaped unharmed. Seven were treated for smoke inhalation, and unfortunately, eight teenagers died in the fire. Gosh, that's horrible. No, I have, I have, that's news. I had never heard of that. When the bodies were actually discovered, they were burnt so badly that they were assumed to be mannequins that were part of the attraction. And emergency personnel used white body bags to differentiate between the victims and the charred mannequins. Good night. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. So Six Flags was indicted for aggravated manslaughter. A lot of the families of these victims came together and they said, well, you in some way could have prevented this. And there were warning signs all along the way, at least according to the report. And they accused Six Flags of recklessly causing the deaths by ignoring warnings from inspectors to install sprinklers and smoke alarms. But there was a criminal trial that was held and the Jackson Township fire inspector testified that he had never inspected the castle, so he'd never even been in there to see it. So some of the arguments were unmerited that Mm -hmm. they had ignored the warnings of the fire marshal or the fire inspector because he said, well, I've not actually been in there. The castle was considered a temporary structure, and at the time, temporary structures didn't have the same sort of safety precautions that the permanent structures did. And the township called it a temporary structure because although it had been there for several years, the trailers holding the attraction were on wheels. And this was the indication of a temporary structure. Hmm. Uh, Now, some things that were true, the castle did lack a building permit. 
It lacked a certificate of occupancy, and fire and smoke detectors, as well as sprinklers, were not part of the attraction. In the trial, the prosecution argued that repeated warnings had gone ignored. Six Flags argued, on the contrary, that the fire was caused by arson and that no amount of precautions would have saved lives. Uh, so Six Flags ultimately had the case dismissed. They were found not guilty. And as a result of more rigorous safety laws, uh, building codes, and inspections, unfortunately, charity haunted houses started closing down due to the expense. Mm, because, wow. you know, immediately following this event, it stirred the population to come up with all these additional laws and regulations. Oh, yeah. There's like, you know, a, a lot more liability involved. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Probably rightfully so. Uh, but unfortunately, the side effect to this was a lot of these charity organizations, such as the JCs who were running these haunted houses, had to close the doors because they essentially couldn't continue to fund all of these additional expenses. And Jason, ha- have you ever been to any of these haunted house attractions? I have. You know, uh, one thing that I think is sort of a new development uh, in recent years is sort of the idea of the the uh, the haunted. Uh, corn maze or cornfield. Yeah, we've seen a few of those. Yeah, sort of outside. So I, mean, I, th- I think that's, in a way, I think that's a little bit scarier than a house because you're outdoors and they're still there. You know what I mean? It's terrifying. It's, there's a lot of corners in the corn maze. There's a lot. Yeah, that's, that's exactly <laughs> right. But I remember one time specifically, I was probably around nine or 10 years old, and uh, I went into a haunted house with uh, my older cousins. And we had went in. I didn't. I didn't want to go. Okay, I'm, I'm a scaredy cat. I hate haunted houses. Yeah, uh, I do too. I just. I don't like them at all. And so I, I went in with them. And probably by like the second room, I was already freaked out. And uh, and I and I, I really did trip. I just like tripped on a cord, an extension cord or something. And you know, I fell down. Of course, I was fine. But when I looked up, they were gone. And and I got turned around. And of course, there's you know there's black curtains and there's smoke and there's strobe lights. And, and I, you're by I, yourself. And and I'm by myself. It's just it's just it's just uh, me and this witch <laughs> in this room. <laughs> and so I mean, she can see I'm visibly shaken beyond like the normal level that you would be. That you, you know, should be. <laughs> that you'd be shaken. Yeah. So she was like coming toward me, saying, "Here, let me help you." And I was like, "Get back, Satan." <laughs> Because, you know, get away from me. You should have uh, chased her up a tree and put crosses around. That's, that's, that's what I should have done. You know, she's, uh, I mean, you know, in actuality, she was really trying to help me. Sure. But behind her, I saw babies' heads floating in a, in a cauldron, you know, so I didn't want to be a. You a, can't a trust the lady cauldron. standing no, in front of the no. cooking baby heads. And uh, so I uh, I finally, I didn't even go through the, the whole thing. I literally, like, found, like, the big, like, tarp. Uh, the outer wall and I pulled it up and I saw like people's feet and popcorn on the outside and I crawled out from underneath it oh wow and uh, so yeah that was you know a few 12 step programs and <laughs> are you, you know, finally over so, it Have yeah you I got over it a year before last so okay congratulations <laughs> I'm, I'm a big kid now <laughs> so <laughs> I'm ready to go but no I'm, I'm personally I'm not a fan of haunted houses but I will be happy to drive anyone who wants to walk through them and I will <laughs> uh, stay in the car and listen to podcasts I guess there you go <laughs> So I have just one story about a haunted house. My wife and I, when we were still dating, were going to college together, and they had a haunted house on campus. And Jason, you just have to imagine, it was in one of the dorms that was the most decrepit, broken down, (laughs) worst dorm ever in a very rural college. So this is where they hosted the haunted house for good reason. It looked like it was actually haunted on uh, January 1st. You know, it didn't have to be Halloween (laughs) for this place to be scary. So we went through the haunted house and unbeknownst to me at the time, my wife absolutely was scared out of her mind. (laughs) Bless her heart. 
so here we are and you know i'm i'm not much better i don't like these <laughs> things but you know we're, we're dating and it's something that's happening on halloween so we're going through a haunted house <laughs> in the dorm down the street so we find ourselves going through all of these different chambers and rooms and you know as we go i can tell by holding her hand that she's getting more and more distressed <laughs> and you know i'm just thinking we just have to get through this and get to the exit so i start you know kind of pulling her along and we sort of start passing up some of the tractions faster and faster and finally we get to one room where there's uh, a girl just laying on the table and you know you think she's just part of the exhibit she's just laying there you don't know what's going on but we turn the corner and as we do she sits up bolt right and just lets out this shriek (laughs) that just raises the hair on the back of your head makes your blood run cold (laughs) and my wife is brought to absolute tears by this (laughs) so we leave we get outside of the haunted house and she's just sitting there sobbing in the parking lot and i'm kind of you know trying to pet on her and say it's okay it's okay (laughs) and before you know it many of the actors who were dressed up as bride of frankenstein and even this girl who shrieked and the skeletons and the ghouls, they're coming out and they're patting on her and telling her it's going to be like, okay. Here's a snow cone. <laughs> we'll make it together. Uh, so, yeah, we've talked about that for many, many years, and I will say we have never been in a haunted house since. <laughs> now, I have. I went to one other haunted house. Uh, I was probably about 16 or 17 years old, uh, and I drove there. Uh, with my buddies and I was trying to be, you know, the, the big guy. Oh yeah, I'm 16. I know, I know how the world works and we're going to go in this haunted house. Yeah. And I was trying to look for every excuse in the world not to go in this house. Right. So, (laughs) but I had done, so I had to go. So I went in and about the third room that we, that we walked in, they, uh, kind of like what you're saying there, they had this, uh, girl all dressed in white and she was like chained to the wall and she would come running at you and get like about six inches from, you know. So as soon as I walked into the room, I saw her running at us. Oh no. And, and I just remember, I don't know if I actually said it, but in my mind I did. I just remember saying, nope. And I, <laughs> and I just did, I just did a 180 and I walked straight back out of the two previous rooms. And as I was walking out, of course, the chainsaw man was there, and he was, like, drinking a Coke, and he looked at me, and I said, I'm out. See ya. You know, and I just went right back to my car and sat there. And so uh, they kind of made fun of me for uh, for that, but that's okay. That's 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 okay. I got big shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you mentioned the chainsaw man. I remember in fifth grade, the school took us to a haunted house, which is a terrible thing for a school to do. Why would they do that, you know? Uh, what but, part of the common core is that mean? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that falls in the curriculum. But anyway, uh, so a lot of the students were going through the haunted house, and I just remember the chainsaw man, like you said, he would chase people out. And at the time, I really had no way of knowing that this chainsaw he was holding was not about to just tear through <laughs> tear you up. everybody in the crowd. Uh, I later found out, though, that apparently uh, there's no – chain on those chainsaws (laughs) so i was very thankful for that (laughs) (laughs) it's the small things that's it (laughs) gotta get you through absolutely so we discussed the history of halloween we've went back and forth on the origins from uh, the celtics and the scots and the irish and all the way through the american commercialization including jack-o'-lanterns and also haunted houses and jason do you have anything else on halloween Uh, i do not think i do i think uh i think i'm finished All right. Thanks to everyone who is listening to the podcast. We appreciate you subscribing and rating the podcast. We hope you have a very great evening. Take care, everyone.